It's Christmas, right? How many of you have got your Christmas trees up? How many of you still struggle to get the turkey smell out of your house? How many of you are still risking leftovers? It is such a beautiful season. And uh, today we're going to open the conversation that we have, are having this December. And I love the word, let's rediscover the wonder of Christmas. Jeff, thank you so much. So you know, not everybody loves reading. Some love reading when there's pictures in the book they're reading. Let me just see how many of you just love to read books, story books, whatever that is. Okay, how many of you binge Netflix? Raise your hand. You know, yeah, see, see, see. I love reading. My wife knows that, especially when I'm vacation. Now, I can go through 11 books on the beach. I don't need to do nothing but go to the beach and read and read and read and read. I can tell you one thing, though. Every book that I read, the author has three pages to either make me read the book or I go like, it is not worth the journey. Now, I know some of you may be so cheap. You buy the book. It's a crappy book. You go like, I'm going to read it. It's seven bucks. I'm going to read my seven bucks. But the first word, the first line, the first paragraph, you've got to get it right in, other, in order to invite your readers into what you believe is a story worth telling. You know, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament that opens the story of the most significant love story, the most unbelievable introduction to a story that has pivoted the earth. That is why you and I are here this morning, and that's why you are watching online, because it is the story that Matthew opens with. Now, if I was Matthew, I would go, can you put me second? Because what if I don't get it right? Now, I'm sure scrolls were expensive. I don't know if Matthew ever started writing and he goes like, oh, this is going to blow. I, I've got to start again. I've got to start again. And I, I want to read to you how Matthew, he is an educated man. And Matthew opens the story of the birth of Jesus this way. Are you ready? There are... 25 verses. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you can do it. You can do it. It's right here. Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadad, Abinadad, not Abinadad, Abinadad the father of Nason, and Nason the father of Solomon. Oh, no, 
Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by his wife Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehobim, and Rehobim the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uziah, and Uziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz uh, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the, who of you are praying that I would stop right now, and Josiah, the father of uh, Jeconah, and brothers uh, are all deported to, uh, 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 to Babylon. Now, Ed, keeps reading, and I know you are going, please, God, please, God, let him stop, let him stop. And how many can vote with me right now that Matthew failed <laughs> at getting us to read the rest? I would go like Matthew, really, bro. Really? 25 verses of names that we cannot even pronounce? And there are names in there, Matthew. That if I had to write, I would be more subtle because there is a name in here, Matthew, of a woman that was a prostitute. And there is another one in there of David's, I almost called her Hoochie Mama, it's not what she was. <laughs> she was the naked one on the roof. Don't put it in the story. It kind of puts a shadow on the story. Keep the good ones in. Because you're going to tell us about the most incredible birth of Jesus. But the question that we're going to find out, what if Matthew is brilliant? What if God is ingenious and he knows the story that we just began to read. If we understand what all of that means, we would understand that there is a wonder in Christmas that is so unlikely. And that when we understand how unlikely it is, we would begin to truly find the amazement of it all. Now listen, this is my 56th Christmas. If you had to turn to your neighbor and say, what Christmas is it for you? I know many of you would probably say it's my 13th. I've been in a coma for 42 years. Uh, you, you would not want to tell people. And, and Christmas for most of us, how many of you go like, I cannot believe it's Christmas again? Really? You want me to get into the ceiling and get the tree again? Really? Really? And you go like, oh, Lord, here we go. Christmas carols, and it's, it's Christmas. And in and, and some way, um, we, the whole idea about Christmas is really exciting. But we know Jesus is still going to be born in Bethlehem. And we still know there's wise men. And then there's the shepherds. And then we know there's Herod. And then we know he's going to be born. He's going to die. He's going to be risen from the dead. And all of that is exciting. But Christmas, it is the same thing again. You see, and that's where the wonder of Christmas 
is lost. And I think that is the saddest thing that if we don't work on the wonder of our marriage, the longer we are married, the more we take the wonder of love for granted. And when you see a couple that has just fallen in love, you look at them and you go like, oh, where did that go for us? And I'm here to tell you that maybe what we're about to discover in this story could be the very linchpin to move us from saying it's Christmas again to rediscovering the wonder of Christmas. But you see, I believe that sometimes when the story is told, we fall into the story without asking what preceded the story. So, so we all, all love movies. Please say yes, right? We love movies. We love movies. How many of you um, can walk into a movie 10 minutes in, you sit down, you don't have to ask a single question. You just follow the story. Uh, this is one guy that is killing everybody. You go, oh, he's probably just angry. I'm just, he's angry. He's messed up. I don't need to know all the detail. I can see he's messed up. And you follow the story. And then, how many of you are married to a person? When they come into the story 10 minutes in, they say, pause. Pause. Who is he? Who is she? What is the movie all about? Please go to the beginning so I can read what this movie is about. Come on, how many of you are married to somebody? If they don't get context, they cannot go down the journey. Come on, let me, let me see. My wife is like that. It's so painful. So painful. She asked, why are they wearing blue clothes? I go like, who cares? Because there wasn't pink. It's just blue. So why ask the question? But you see, I watched the movie the other day, and I want to tell you about this movie and see if you would be interested to watch this movie. I'm going to just drop you into this movie because it is about a young lady. Her name is Yushra Mardini. She was born 5th of March, 1998 in Damascus. Now, this is her. I could tell you she was born to a normal family in Damascus. And you can see that she's got a swimming medal there. This is her dad. Uh, and I can tell you something about the dad. He wanted to be Olympic swimmer. He was getting close to go to the Olympics. And then civil war broke out in Syria. And he, had to, uh, he was recruited into the army. And for two years he served. And he couldn't practice swimming anymore. And so because he couldn't swim, he decided to live his dream through his daughters. So they had to be swimmers. He became their coach, and he was coaching them, coaching them, and, and clearly I could see that uh, the one daughter understood and was rebellious because she didn't want to live her father's ambition. The other one wanted to please the father, and she worked hard and worked hard because he said to her, you're going to go to the Olympics, but simply because he couldn't go. So this family, um, their weekends was filled at pools where this young, two young ladies were swimming uh, for their, the, their life because the father wanted them to go to the Olympics. I can tell you that this girl, that's all she spoke about, that's all she dreamt about, and she did go to the Olympics in, in Tokyo in 2016, and now there is she, she is, and she's an ambassador for the goodwill of refugees. How many of you go like, thank God you told me I ain't watching that movie? 
because it is simply just another hallmark when I try and make you cry movie. It's something we have seen. But what if I step back and I give you the prequel of what happened behind the pictures that you saw? I can take you back to this picture. And I can tell you that this family lived a very simple life and that the parents sacrificed everything for the dream of taking these two girls to the Olympics. That the father didn't have an ambition. That the father saw talent in his children that was bigger than his. And he was willing to do everything he could for them to excel even greater than his own dreams. And yes, the Syrian war did break out. And their house was bombed. They lost friends, they lost family. For us, we are so far removed from it. Wherever they go, there were street patrols, rations, standing in line for food. But they continued to go to these events to try and make life normal. But it was at this event that there was a bombing outside of the swimming facility. And what was so frightening is this young lady was swimming when a mortar came through the roof and fell in the pool. But the mortar, with the friction of the water, did not explode. Then her father said, they can no longer stay. He borrowed 10000 thousand pounds, said goodbye to his two baby girls, and he said the only place that is taking refugees is Germany, and Germany is 2,350 miles by road. They go through countries, borders, they go through human smugglers, because all of a sudden, they started a journey where they get a promise, they pay the money, and now they become part of hundreds of thousands of people that are refugees that are fleeing their country and fleeing Syria because they don't want to die in a political battle. What if I tell you that they paid so much money because there was going to be a large boat that was going to take them on a four-hour journey to Greece. But when they arrived at the beach, these human traffickers, smugglers, put them on a rubber dinghy that had so many patches on it and a broken engine, they overloaded the boat, pushed them in, took their money and walked away. The engine broke down. And these two girls realized there are too many people on the boat. And they said, we can swim. They both jumped over the dinghy into the dark water, tied a rope to themselves, and they began to swim and tow 
the boat to Greece. What you see is really hard to understand. When they got to Greece and they just made it, they came over the dunes thinking that they were the first group of people that survived this. But what you see behind me are the life jackets because 3.5 million people put their life on the line to escape. This was not the end. They were put in trucks with no oxygen. They were put on a train that went nowhere. They lost their money. They had to withstand rape, assault, and eventually they land up in Germany in a confinement where they couldn't leave. But this young lady heard her father's words, stay in your lane. Don't let the dream die. Believe, believe, believe. And she would take the water bottle and anything she could find to keep herself in the best shape she could, but there was no swimming pool, there was nothing. But the breakthrough came when they discovered that she was a swimmer. And in 2016, she was one of 16 people at the Tokyo Olympics on a refugee team of people who were disassociated and alienated from their countries. She went to two Olympics. She didn't win. But it was not about winning the Olympics. It was a triumph of the human heart. Can I tell you something about her? The reason why she is part of a refugee agency is because she said, I need to keep the dream alive for those who's given up. You know what her sister did? She went back to the same beach in Greece where she came from to set up a camp to give water and food to those who land at that bridge because she felt like hope almost died when she saw all the life jackets. And her sister was captured and right now serving 20 years in prison for giving refugees water. That's not the end of the story. Yes, she is. Back in her home country, Syria, and that's the pool where the bomb fell. That's not the end of the story. How many of you wanna know the movie right now? and go like, what, what is the movie called? I want you to know when I watch it, I, I cried like I was watching Oprah. I cried, I cried right through the whole thing. You know why? Because my heart now had the backstory. This was not a sweet story. This was a story with great pain, with great adversity, with great hope, with parents that cannot see their children. This story is so deep, and what if I tell you that Matthew is so brilliant that he says, if you do not know the prequel to the crib in Bethlehem, you're gonna think it just happened. So let me take you back to the wonder of Christmas. Now, Anne Foskamp is the most incredible writer, and she opens the Christmas story like this. 
Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, this is why you came, this is why you came. Listen, this Christmas story, it begins in the beginning. This love story that's been coming for you since the beginning. It begins with the always coming Jesus. Jesus who was there in the beginning, the voice calling out in darkness and echo in cosmic emptiness. He speaks it by the commanding of the word of his mouth. Let there be. Let there be light. Let there be land. Let there be vegetation. Let there be animals. Let there be rhinoceros. Let there be platypus. Let there be everything. But you, me, we alone were formed by a huddle of hearts. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When they said, let us make humans in our image and likeness. The authority of God made creation, but it was the affection of God that made you. Ooh, the affection of God that made you. And when God made you and I, from everything in creation, we are the only ones that carries his image and likeness. We are the ones that invited in. And he says, I want you to cultivate and I want you to put it over control and I want you to protect this beautiful creation that I've given you. I have given you the same creative spirit in you. So take what is there and make it more. Bring order to it and where it's broken, I've given you the power to bring the restorative power of heaven. Where there's war, you can bring peace. Where there is darkness, you can be the light. But there was another creature. His name was Lucifer. Lucifer was the most beautiful angel. The Bible says his beauty was unspeakable but pride got into his heart. And all of a sudden, this created being said to God, I will ascend above your throne. I will set myself above the clouds. I will be like the most high God. His lie and deception was so convincing that a third of the angels rebelled against God and said, we can be God. Then he saw the huddle of hearts making you and I. And he knew the way to the heart of God is to get to his creation. That's the crown jewel of it all. So in the garden slithers the snake, Lucifer. And he comes to them and he says, come on, read with me. He says, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat. And you will be just like God. And on that day when they ate, 
man in his default were no longer satisfied with God alone. Now he was hungry for other. You say, what is other? See, that's what makes it so hard because other is so deceptive. Sometimes other is a paycheck. Sometimes other is a person. Sometimes other is just your own. Other in my life looks different in different seasons. But you see, God knew that the only thing that would ever satisfy the creative soul of the one who is in his image and likeness is the one called the bread of life. So he, in his loving heart, sent the bread of life to a place called Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. Jesus, when he was surrounded with a crowd, he says, are you thirsty? I know you're drinking. Remember the woman at the well, he says, what you doing? She says, I am getting water. He says, the water that you drink will always leave you thirsty. But I am the water. If you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. If you eat from the bread of life, there is a satisfaction that will come to your heart that you will never understand. But you see, something else was going on. Because we are looking for it in life. The advertising agency tells us all the time, if you buy it, you'll be happy. But the wise men know or knew it was not it. Because the question that they ask is, where is he? When they came looking for this baby. You say, Pastor P, but you still are missing the point of 308 words that Matthew messed up. What has the 308 words got to do with what you just told us? Well, I'm going to tell you that God spoke to the man and the woman and he said, because you now want to be God, let me tell you what your life's going to look like. To the man, when you worked with me, there was a pleasure and a delight in your labor. But now you're going to work and work and sweat. There's thistles and thorns. Your wife's going to have babies. And she's going to scream at you in the delivery room and call you names that you don't even know she knew those words. There's going to be pain and suffering and misery because the world has now spiraled out of its place. And then he turned to the snake and he said something to the snake, the Lucifer, the devil. He said something that I want you to catch. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is so big. He says this. Oh, let me see if I can get this right. Oh, oh, let me see if I can get, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Go back, go back, go back. Yes, and yes, and amen, yes. This is what he said. And I will put enmity. That means forever there will be striving between Satan and humans between your seed and the woman's seed, and between your offspring and hers. He says, he 
her offspring will come someone that will crush your head. But you, you will strike his heel before you crush his head. Now you go like, that sounds like a riddle. It's like twilight zone. Now Satan knew exactly what this means. God is saying to him, you think you are winning. But from the seed of this woman will come a wounded victor that's going to crush your head. Now you go like, so why, why is this so important? I'm going to tell you why this is so important. Because you see, there is a dilemma. Because God said from her bloodline will come a wounded victor. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it through somebody that is going to be human on earth. But there is a problem with this whole scenario. Because you see, her bloodline is not satisfied with God. Her bloodline are hungry for a other. Her bloodline is fallible. We are that bloodline. Her bloodline carries shame and blame. Hey, you and I are marred with constantly feeling we're not enough in the eyes of God. And constantly when we do something wrong, we wanna blame. And, and, and Satan knows this, the probability for a bloodline and for a victor to come through a bloodline, he knows in that bloodline, they run and hide. Come on, how many times have you heard the whisper of God say, I want you to help somebody. And then you go like, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And you run and hide because it's going to cost you something. Oh, Satan knew the, the odds is stacked against God, because the bloodline is not thoroughbreds. The bloodline are fallible humans like you and I. Thickled, stubborn, filled with shame, filled with anger, always looking for something else. And God's dilemma is one gigantic big thing. He has given us free will. Have you ever wondered why God gave us free will? You know what free will means? You don't have to be in church today. Free will means that you can get up right now and tell me, I don't like you, bye. And I can do nothing about it. I can go like a rester, there is a law, you can't throw a pinky in church. You can't walk out. You know why God gave free will? Because God is love and wants to love and wants to be loved. But if there is no free will, then love is not love. Hey, I've got a wife, two adult children, and two dogs. I like the dogs. But you know why they love me? Because I feed them. If you take them a year later and feed them, they'll vaguely remember me, but they're going to love you. And if they don't love me, I just look at them and go like, you know what I'm going to do? I will starve you and give you to the neighbors. My wife is hurt right now. She's going to ask me after service, why would you ever do that? <laughs> but you see, my wife's love, my children's love. Hey, those of you who just had kids, 
You know that first moment when they wobble to you and give you the first hug because they want to? There is a love that comes from them loving you that you cannot describe to another human being on the planet. And God gave us free will because God is love. God doesn't have to love you. He wants to love you. And He wants you to love Him back, not because you have to love Him. That's why I tell you, if you're scared of hell, that's why you love God. That's not love. That is you're scared of hell. You love Him because He first loved you. That's when, when God so loved the world. It was not anything else but His throbbing heart because you were made in the huddle of love, but now God's got to get through this gigantic dilemma. And Satan knows this. The way that I stop the victor from coming and crushing my head, I've got to corrupt the bloodline, or I've got to kill the baby. Have you ever wondered why Cain killed Abel? Because Satan is looking at the bloodline and says, oh, there's a righteous one. We've got to take him out. Remember Moses? What did Pharaoh say? Kill all the newborn babies. Why? He says, there is a possibility because I see that a redeemer, a savior, a, a liberator is born. We've got to kill him. What happened when Jesus was born? Kill all the newborn babies. Oh, what you will discover in this season with these names that the bloodline became so thin that there was one child that was hidden in a temple who carried the bloodline for the victor to come. You say, why does that matter? Because you and I are part of the bloodline of those who inhabit the redemptive power of Jesus on the earth. You and I, and you know, remember that prostitute that I told you about? Thank God she was one. You know why? Because you can discover that God can even redeem the worst kinds of decision and say, Satan thought making her a prostitute, he corrupts the bloodline. But my grace will step in to that very bad situation and I will redeem the bloodline and the Savior is going to come. Oh, if I'm you, I would be standing and go like, here, yeah, thank God. I am not voted off the island. The bloodline, an affair, and a conspiracy to kill the husband. I would say, you out, Gilligan's Island, there you go. Satan, you have won. Oh, but no. God says, I can redeem. It's wrong, but I can redeem. And, and I want you to know as you are sitting here, you know what is the wonder of Christmas? The wonder of Christmas is that you and I are made in the huddle of love. And no matter what we have done, no matter how we wander, no matter how we vacillate, no matter what we've decided, we are the next chapter in the ongoing story of Christmas. We are the product of amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch 
like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I. You are the next chapter in the story. I am. Can I say this to you? Your children. The way you raise them, what you make as a priority in their life, will either determine whether faith stops with you or faith continues with them and their children and their children. That's why, parents, I want to look you in the eyes and say this to you. I love that you are spending time with your kids and you're pushing them in soccer and in and every, but don't let faith be diminished for the sake of what you think they can get if they play whatever they play every Sunday because in the midst of their playing, you are saying that this is secondary to that and I want you to know where I'm standing. We've never been so close to faith being snuffed out. But you know what is so great? Faith cannot be snuffed out because the truth is marching on. God will always find children and the children's children and the children's children. All I'm saying, how about you say, I want to be part of the story. I will pray for Christ to be formed in my children. But here is the beautiful story that I want to end with right here for Christmas. You don't come back next week. I swear as anything, I will go come get you. <laughs> because we're going to be looking at some of these ordinary people that did what we did or did what we do. And we're going to discover the amazing grace that always preserves the promise and overcomes what Satan wants to kill and destroy. And that, my friends, is the wonder of Christmas. Don't miss the sequel because you and I are in it. Now, I noticed some of you didn't sing Amazing Grace. I did. You think I can't see till the back row? I, I can see. <laughs> and you know what? You don't have to. Because some of you may be feeling in such a shadowy place. Some of you may say, Pastor P, if I had to tell you, I look myself in the mirror. There is so much regret. Some of you have calculated how many more years. You go like God. All I can do is tread water. When somebody says you can be in the story, you go like, no. Uh, it's over. My heart is unfaithful. I make terrible decisions. 
So I'm going to ask those who sang, can you sing it loud enough so that those who didn't sing can hear the promise of hope? Grace triumphs over judgment. Can you do that for me? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. never lose the wonder that for 14 generations through ordinary people just like us you look past our hiding our shaming our blaming our running and mercy triumph over our failure. God, may we never lose the wonder. That is my prayer this Christmas.